guys can go ahead and have a seat. I want to welcome everybody here to Creekside. Thanks for coming. Uh, we appreciate you fighting that terrible weather we've been having the last couple days and coming out. I want to talk a little bit about a program we have going here at Creekside that, that uh, involves mentoring and accountability for men. It's unfortunately maybe one of the uh, best kept secrets that we have here. But uh, a little over, oh, probably a year ago, some of the guys here participated in, in a uh, Bible study. It was called Stepping Up. And it was a matter of, of how a man, women, you can kind of tune out here for a little while, but uh, how men can go from kind of infancy in, in their spiritual journey and their, their journey with Jesus to, to maturity, where they can create a legacy. And the leadership uh, thought it necessary uh, and needed for us to uh, band together here as, as men and establish and help start a, a mentoring and, and an accountability program. Proverbs talks about as iron sharpens iron, so a person should sharpen a person. And uh, that's what we want to do here. You know, the word mentoring is never mentioned uh, in the Bible, but uh, there are certainly many examples of it. You can think of uh, Jethro and Moses and how, how that started as a mentoring program, and not a program, he just, Moses needed help, and he went on down the line. You can, you can see how Eli and Samuel in the Old Testament were, were mentoring each other, and it went on, on down the line. And perhaps probably the most, most famous one would be Jesus and how he mentored his apostles. And if you think about it, you know, it went from Jesus to his apostles to other church leaders to Paul to Timothy to Titus. And that's probably why we're sitting here today is because of the teaching that went, that went on from man to man to man. Um, and so that's kind of what we're, wanting, we're, we're interested in, in uh, uh, creating here. Uh, we had, a, we had a breakfast here, uh, I don't know, several, several months ago, and a result of this breakfast was, was a list of men who were interested in helping other men just getting along daily life and how, how they, uh, they can get along. Um, we, we have a, a great tool here at Creekside, and it's, it's our website. How many people have been on the Creekside's website? How many, how many in, in the last week? All right, pretty, pretty good. It's, it's, it's a great, Mike, our webmaster, the greatest in all the world. He, he does an incredible, incredible job doing that. But, um, so I, I, want, I want to show, you know, women can get this, men a little, a little slower. We're going to show you how to get to, to our, uh, make use of our mentoring program, if you would, please. Um, this, these are just uh, shots of, of the website. So, men, what you got to do is get on to the web, on to the homepage of the website, and you see there's like eight tabs across across the uh, middle of the page. Home, about, events, media, ministries. Go into deeper. This is what you want, is a, is a, a deeper relationship here. So if you click onto that, you're going to come into another list of options. And we can uh, get the next slide. Uh, one, of the, one of the options, there's a list of them where you see you know, uh, Creekside Youth, small groups, men's mentoring, uh, accountability. There's a list. This was a list that was created as a result of the breakfast that we had. So we've, we've had men that are uh, available for, for mentoring other men in, in uh, areas that, that are listed there, as, as well as any other areas you, that you could, you could think of. So I, I know this works. Uh, in, in the last couple of weeks, uh, in the pursuit of perhaps buying my wife the perfect car, which I haven't done yet, you know, I'd, I'd call Jim and say, Jim, what, what should I not get? I won't tell you what he said, 
just in case someone may sell for that particular company. But uh, anyhow, uh, very helpful. But so anyhow, what, what these men have done is has signed up for areas to help out. Again, there's all kinds of them, accountability, apologetics, uh, if you're dealing with you know, depression, divorce, temptation, and even more practical things. If, if you're interested in buying a house, I happen to know one or two people that could help you out in, in, uh, in that area. So where do we go from here? We want everybody in here involved in, in uh, participating in this uh, program here. So if you want to be on this list as a man to, who wants to volunteer to help some, I have a list of, of uh, areas uh, that you can sign up for. It's going to ask for your name. It's going to ask how to, your contact information. I'm going to put it out, out, out uh, in the lobby on the table. So afterwards, sign up for it. You'll be listed on this paper here. Now, if there's something that you need help with, uh, again, maybe if you've uh, got car problems, maybe if you, got, you deal with depression, maybe if you need help raising a kid. Uh, I noticed there's one, up, one area up here that says raising teenagers, and I can't believe anybody was dumb enough to sign up for that, that list. But if you, need, if you need help in a certain area, it's very easy. Get on the website, get the name, you can contact. The, everybody's name will be in our directory. You can, you can open up the directory, get the contact information, and uh, give them a call. These men have volunteered to help you in any, any of these situations that uh, are up there. So if, if you don't feel comfortable about, about that, feel free to contact me. Feel free to contact Bob Short, and we can uh, put you in touch with the right people. So just something we want to get everybody involved in, want you to know about it. Let's take advantage of this. So right now, through the next couple songs, we are going to have our offering, and, and so we'd like if you would like to participate in your worship through the offering, feel free to do that. I say this to women, you, you need to be highly involved in that list too because if, you're, if, if the man is like me, we hate asking for help. Like, no directions, I'm gonna figure this out. So my wife has said to me countless times, you're an idiot, you don't know what you're doing, you need to ask for help. So that's your cue when, you're <laughs> when your husband needs some help. Tell him to ask. turn to Matthew chapter 5. We are continuing our series on the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, today's message is going to be Matthew 5, 17 through 20. It is only four verses long, so I'm not sure what that means as far as time, but I guess we'll find out together. Uh, here's what it says, Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others, teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven." For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. We, our message title this morning is called Trouble with the Law. 
And I read that, and, and you know, anytime I'm speaking, it's always Mike that comes up with the title. I'll give him, hey, here are the couple of things I'm talking about, my main points, and then Mike will give me like 10, like, it's like, like 10 seconds later, and that's how Mike, it's, it's that good. 10 seconds later, he's got, what about this, 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 this. So I kind of like trouble with the law, but I also thought it would kind of sound like almost a little Western themed, you know, like John Wayne a little bit or something. We got some trouble with the law, and I thought, man, I need to show up in my cowboy boots and my Wranglers and all that, but I refrain for you guys. And, you know, by Wranglers, I don't mean like those tight, you know, hipster skinny jeans Tim wears up here. I'm t- you know, I'm talking like the cowboy look. I can make fun of him since he's not here a little bit. Uh, <clears throat> so anyway, it's not going to be a cowboy theme this morning, but I thought I'd go a different direction. We start with a little pirates. Is that okay? So my first thing I got, I just want you to check out this clip from the Pirates of the Caribbean, if you would. Alex? Your return to Solo was not part of our negotiations nor our agreement, so I must do nothing. And secondly, you must be a pirate for the pirate's code to apply, and you're not. And thirdly, the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl, Miss Turner. I like that, and you'll see that throughout the series, The Pirates of the Caribbean, where they're talking about the pirate's code. And here he says, Barbosa says, that it's more just kind of guidelines. Right, you know, maybe we can follow, maybe we can't. It's there, and we know it's guidelines, but, you know, probably not a big deal if we don't fully follow it. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about the law. We're going to talk about Jesus coming, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And I think the problem is, much like here with the Pirate's Code, is that many people, when we study and we look at the law, it's kind of like, yeah, you know what, those are some nice guidelines and that might be a nice way in which I could live my life. Or even the world itself, as they look at the Ten Commandments and they look at the law, yeah, you know, those things are good, and that, that'd be a good guideline for my life. And if I can maybe follow it uh, kind of closely or do some of the things, at the end of my life, I'm probably going to be in pretty good shape with God. And so I think that's how the law is viewed many times. Yeah, great, great list great guidelines for us to follow. If I can do it, I'm going to be a lot better off. And so we got this set of guidelines that are there, but it's a whole lot more than that, isn't it? And what we see here in Jesus talking to us in Matthew chapter 5 is that it's not just a list of guidelines, but in fact, we are to live by this law. And so we're going to look at three things this morning, and here they they are. And uh, the first is one, The law is there, and we must follow it. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is, you can't follow it. Okay, this is looking up for you. Okay, third thing is that in and through Jesus Christ, you can. And really, if you look at the theme of the whole Bible, not only this message, this this message kind of encompasses what the whole theme of the Bible is. One, we must follow the law. Two, we can't. Three, you need Jesus. That's really the theme of the Bible, isn't it? And so in the message this morning, that's what we're going to see, is that there is this law. God has placed this law, and we are to follow it, but we can't, and therefore, we need Jesus. So let's look at the first one. We must live by the law. If we go through the Sermon on the Mount, as we're going to do in the weeks to come, you're going to see several times Jesus is going to make this statement. He's going to make the statement, you have heard it said. 
and then he's going to continue on. And if you look at a couple of them, he's going to talk about murder, he's going to talk about adultery, he's pulling out some of the Ten Commandments, and he says, hey, you guys know, you've heard it said that this is the way, right? You shouldn't murder, you shouldn't commit adultery. But then he continues on. You've heard it said you shouldn't murder, but I'm going to tell you this. You should not even have an ill thought about somebody. Not even to think negatively about somebody. You've heard it said you shouldn't commit adultery. I'm telling you, you shouldn't even have a lustful thought towards someone. So here they have this idea, okay, the law, if I don't do this, I'm in pretty good shape. But it's almost as if Jesus is taking it to a whole another level that it's not just our actions but so much more than our actions it's the condition of our heart it's our attitude which can oftentimes lead to these actions these these actions matter okay yeah it it matters the actions that play out but jesus when he's talking he's telling us hey listen it is so much more than the actions it is it's your heart it's a reflection of your heart because many times your heart's condition is why we carry out these actions i i was uh, in studying this week i heard a good illustration kind of uh, around this idea and they were talking about two acorns and so you have two acorns and one acorn that they both have the capacity both of these acorns have the capacity to be a tree right okay they both have the capacity to be a tree one acorn falls into the soil gets sunlight, water, has the nice soil, and grows into this great tree. The second one falls, falls onto a sidewalk, and nothing becomes of it, right? Well, did both have the capacity to become this tree? Yes, but only one did. And just like here, as we look and we look at this idea of murder, and we look at it as the idea of adultery, and you can go down the list, we all have the capacity And what Jesus wants us to understand, that it's not just the action, but within your heart, you have the capacity for this. You look at a guy like David. David was a guy after, a man after God's own heart, yet committed adultery, committed murder. The capacity existed. And so oftentimes, for all of us in this room, I think what Jesus wants us to understand is that within your heart, there exists that capacity. There exists the capacity for murder. There exists the capacity for adultery. There exists the capacity for any of these things that we talk through on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, sometimes it's a matter of being realized. Sometimes it's a matter of conditions, right? We can look at people's lives and we can see that maybe in the way they were raised or maybe in the neighborhood they were in, and all of a sudden the the right conditions are realized for them and they act upon it. But what Jesus wants... Not that those are right or not that it's justified. We're all responsible for our actions. But what Jesus wants us to understand, that when it, within each and every one of us exists the capacity for this to happen. So Jesus brings us there. And he says, uh, mo- most of us within our lives, we're not going to experience that. But Jesus wants us, and he's telling his followers, never hold a grudge. Never have an ill thought. Never have a lustful thought towards someone. He's telling them we must have love even for those who hate us, and on and on it goes as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. And we look at this, and, and we see this, and okay, so here's the law. We must, we must live this way. And when we look at that, and we hear the words of Jesus, I don't know about you, but when you look at that, man, that's crushing, isn't it? If this is what we are supposed to do, and this is how we are supposed to live, 
Can you get there? Can I get there? Man, that, that can be crushing. It can be devastating. That's where the second point comes in, is that we can't live by the law. We cannot live by that standard. God has set a standard, a way in which we are to live, and we can't do it. Let me read verses 18 and 19 here. It says this, For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and reaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. See, what, what I think and what we don't want to think and what Jesus doesn't want us to think is that it doesn't matter how we live our life as long as we've got Jesus. Jesus doesn't want that thought, all right? It doesn't matter how you don't live. As long as you got me, it doesn't matter how you live your life. I mean, these are strong words from Jesus. If you look at it, hey, the, if, you, if you don't follow the least of these commandments and you teach others to do the same, you're going to be considered the least. I mean, those are strong words. Do those words sound like someone who is saying the law doesn't matter anymore? No, not at all. The, the law still has great importance, and Jesus is wanting us to understand. Jesus is telling us that even if you break one of the least of these, you'll be considered the least. That is, you go back to the Pirates of the Caribbean, that this is not just set up as, hey, good ideas, maybe we should do this, or this set of guidelines that maybe we should follow. But Jesus is telling us, it's set in place. This is how you should live your life. I was talking to a friend this week, and they were talking about a friend of theirs. And the friend of theirs, uh, someone who, who they go to church with, and they were having this conversation with them. And, and in the discussion, she was saying, you know, Listen, I, I love Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, but here, here's an area of my life, and, and I'm not going to go into detail on it, but here's an area of my life, this is what I believe, and nothing you say is going to change my mind. And there was, he said, well, I, you know, I had this discussion with her because to me, the Bible's very clear that this, this kind of lifestyle, the things you're doing, I think it's clear that, yeah, you, you shouldn't live that type of life. And yeah, and adamant. No, hey, listen, I love Jesus. I come to church every week. I do my thing, but I'm not going to give this up. And so it becomes kind of that heart condition, and you look at what Jesus said, not a set of guidelines, right? This is how you should live your life. Unless your righteousness, or I'm sorry, if Jesus breaks one of the least of these, Jesus tells us even if we break one of the least of these or teach someone to do the same, we are considered the least. And those are those are strong words. Those are words of someone who loves the law. Those are words from someone who says, listen, that law is in place for a reason. That law, I'm not coming to get rid of it. You can tell his love for the law. He continues on in verse 20. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So he continues on. He says, listen, told you what the, a little bit about the law here, and if your righteousness doesn't surpass that of the Pharisees, there's no place for you in the kingdom of heaven. And this has to be such a shock to this crowd, because they would look at the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were a group of people who had very rigid rules. Uh, if you would look at, 
you know, people like uh, the Amish or monks today who have very rigid way to live life, a very rigid set of rules. This is kind of the Pharisees. The Pharisees would take a law and then they would create 10 different steps to that law, right? So here's the law. We need to do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and can't do that. And we need to do this. And that would be how we follow that law. And they set these things up. And it was a very rigid way. And we said, we got to follow this. And if we did, we're in pretty good shape, right? And so that's how it would be set up. And so the, the crowd that Jesus is talking to, they would look at the Pharisees and, man, these guys got it all together. Look how closely they want to follow the law. These items, these things they've done, oh, yeah, you know what, Pharisees, if we could be anything, half as, half as religious as they could be, then we've got something. And so Jesus showing the crowd, listen, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, there's no place for you. And so the crowd right there, blown away. If the Pharisees can't do it, who can? Because these are religious people. These people want to follow the law. And he wants them to see, Jesus wants them to see that it's not this set of external behavior. It's not this set of compliance. But it's the actions. It's not the actions, but it's the motives of the heart. Right? It's not this rules that we got to follow. It's not compliance, but it's a reflection of where our heart is. And if you, and as we will do, go through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, you see it on every one, don't you? That, okay, you've heard it said, you shouldn't do this, but I'm telling you, and Jesus pulls it to the heart condition. And he shows them it's a heart condition, and that action is a result of the heart condition. And that's what Jesus wants us to understand. It's just not about doing the action, but it's about the motives as well. Uh, and, and as we uh, as we look and we study the law and we look at what God has intended in this way that God has intended us to look at, at how we should live our lives, that can be defeating and it can be crushing. And even even more so, more than just the law. If you go to verse 17. Just the first part of verse 17, here's what Jesus says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. So Jesus is saying, you know, I haven't come to get rid of the law, but he also brings the prophets into this. And anytime you hear that phrase, law or prophets, Jesus is talking about the whole word of God. He's talking about the word of God as a whole, not just the law. So he's also talking about the whole story of the Bible. And what Jesus is wanting to point out to his followers here is that, yeah, here's the law, but also look at the stories within the Bible. And we read stories about guys like Abraham and Joseph and Moses and David, and you can go to, to Hebrews 11 and you can see this great hall of faith, people who have followed God within their, uh, because of their great faith. These things have been done for the kingdom of God. And as we read through and we see these stories of these great men and women of faith, the, the reality is, it, yeah, it can be expire, uh, uh, um, aspiring, something to aspire to, but you know what it is? It's kind of crushing as well. The law is crushing because, yeah, I can't obtain it, but those stories can be crushing as well because you see these men and women accomplish great things for the kingdom, and I say to myself, there is no way I could ever do that. There's nothing. There's no way I can accomplish those type of things for the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus wants his followers to see here. Yeah, listen, look at the law. It's unobtainable. 
Look at these great figures of the faith. It's unobtainable. We cannot reach it. And Jesus wants us to understand that. The law exists. These great examples exist. We can't do it. But here's the cool thing. If we ended the, the message right there, you guys probably wouldn't like me too much, right? It wouldn't be this message I would go home and feeling a whole, oh, man, I feel great. What, what a message today. There's a way to live, and I can't do it. You know, if I was a motivational speaker and I came with that type of message, I'd probably never be invited back. Here's what you need to do, but here's the good news. You can't do it, right? It's crushing. It's defeating because there's a way in which we're to live, and we can't do it. But here's the beautiful thing. In and through Jesus Christ, we can have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. But only in and through him can that happen. Verse 17 says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to fulfill them. Listen, the, the reason Jesus says, the reason he doesn't say, hey, I've come to get rid of the law, the reason he doesn't say that is because he wants us to follow the law. The law is a beautiful thing. Jesus wants us to follow it. If you uh, have ever loved someone and you want to do what? If I love someone, if I love my wife, I love my wife, if I want to show my love to her, you know what I want to do? And she's probably going to tell you I did this a whole lot better early on than I do today, but if I love her, I want to do things that please her. Do I not? If you love someone, we want to do things that please that other person. My wife all the time, she loves me. She'll do things that please my heart. She has my interest in mind. If I love God, what do I want to do? Same way, I want to do things that please him. What pleases him? I'll answer that for you. What pleases him is the law. Because the law is a reflection of who he is. He keeps his promises. He loves. He's honest. Integrity. All the things of the law is a reflection of who God is. And for me to show my love, for me to show for something that pleases God, is for me to live that type of life. That's it. And so Jesus is saying, he loves us too much to say the law doesn't matter. Jesus loves you too much to say, you know what, don't worry about the law. Just follow me, you'll be in good shape. He loves you too much. What Jesus desires and what we see right here in Matthew chapter 5 and other places out of Jesus is that Jesus desires for you to reflect the Father. Do you know that you are created in the image of God? That's how God has created you, in his image. And Jesus wants us to understand here and other places that we should reflect that image of God. And so what he desires and what he wants is, hey, if we look at the law, what does the law do? The law reflects who God is. It reflects the attributes of God. And if I should reflect 
my Father who has created me, who I'm made in his image. And the law is a great reflection of that. And here's the reality, that if we fail, if we fail to reflect the image of God, there's going to be a breakdown, right? There is a breakdown in the design. That's the way God has intended. We've been created in his image. We've been created to reflect him. And when we don't, there's going to be a breakdown. There's going to be a breakdown spiritually in my life. There's going to be a breakdown emotionally in my life. There can be a breakdown physically in my life because this is how God has created me. There can be a breakdown in your family. Go beyond that. There can be a breakdown in society if enough people, if enough people are not reflecting the image of God, if enough people not reflecting the things of God. We see it, don't we? I mean, look at the society around us. Look at the world around us. There's a breakdown, and that breakdown stems from right here, that we're not reflecting the image of our Creator within our lives. I didn't come to abolish it, but I have come to fulfill it. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To me, this is probably one of the most important statements in all of Scripture because it brings it all together. We understand the point of the Bible. Here's the law. We can't obtain it, but Jesus, Jesus can. And in and through him, we can have a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees. So I'll, if I would ask the question, how do you fulfill a law? Any law. How do you fulfill a law? Okay, I'll answer it. Yes, I, I mean. We fulfill the law by doing it, right? By obeying the law. How else might the law be fulfilled? If I speed down the road and somebody pulls me over, I've not obeyed the law, so what do I have to do? I've got to pay a penalty for it, right? This is the two ways in which you can obey a law. You can, or you can follow a law. You can either obey it or you can pay the penalty for not obeying it. Two ways in which you can follow a law. Now, the law is no different here. As long as I either obey it, I'm in good shape, or as long as a penalty has been paid, I'm in good shape. Nobody's coming back after me. I'm not going to be condemned for what I've done because, one, I either obeyed it, or two, a penalty's already been paid for it. And the same way right here, when we think of Jesus and we look upon the law, Jesus has come to fulfill the law. And how has he done it? Two ways. Jesus has come to fulfill that law for you perfectly in two different ways. Not once, twice. He has fulfilled it perfectly how? He came. He obeyed the law. He, ref he reflected the image of God perfectly. Perfectly. Love and honesty, truth, all of those things. Jesus reflected the image of God perfectly. He obeyed and he followed the law perfectly. He has done it. He fulfilled the law that way. The second way he has fulfilled the law. We look, I was looking for a cross. We look to the cross, right? Jesus has paid the ultimate price. 
in a little bit, we're going to take the bread and the juice, and we're going to remember how Jesus has paid this ultimate price for us, ultimate penalty, so we didn't have to. He has obeyed it perfectly in those two ways. But here's the deal. If he had only come and paid the penalty, if he had only come and that was the only way it was paid, that wouldn't be enough. And you know why? Because if that penalty is paid, that takes care of our past. It takes care of what we've done. But it doesn't secure our future. Yes, the past is taken care of. Yes, it's done. But we would still be responsible for the future. But because Jesus has come and he's obeyed the law perfectly, perfectly, reflected the image of God perfectly, and then paid the penalty, that now through him, in him, we have obeyed it perfectly, not because of anything we've done, but because of him. Our price has been paid perfectly, not because of anything we've done, but because of him. We, we talked about Ephesians chapter 1 last year, and in Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about everything we have in Christ, this blessing we have in Christ. We have been adopted. We have been redeemed and bought back. Our, our future is secure. We have his grace lavished upon us. See, here's the, the, the thing. When we put our hope and our faith and our trust in Jesus, all of that blessing that is lavished upon him who has perfectly lived and obeyed the law, all that that was on him is now on me. Isn't that an awesome thing? So now I can have the righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. Not, not because of what I've done, but in and through him. Because he's perfectly reflected the Father. He's obeyed the law perfectly. And then he paid that penalty for me. Because I can't. What an amazing thing that he has done. And so once we understand that Jesus fulfills the law, listen, it, it not only changes our relationship with God and with him, but it changes everything else. Uh, Martin Luther was talking about this, and, and this is kind of a loose quote, but he's talking about it's the job of the law to guide us, to tell us how to love God and how to live and how to be the kind of person that God wants us to be. And it's not because we can obtain something, right? It's not because we can go and get something and obtain it, but it's because we already have. It's a reflection of our heart now. We're not trying to strive and not trying to accomplish and not trying to go get, but we do it because of what Jesus has done for us, what God has done in giving us his son, Jesus. John Calvin, regarding this subject, talking about if Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law fully, then it changes our relationship with everything. And there's a great quote that I'm going to read to you and John Calvin talking about this. Here's what it says. <clears throat> if it follows that every good thing we could think of or desire is to be found in this same Jesus Christ alone. For he was sold to buy us back, captive to deliver us, condemned to absolve us. He was made a curse for our blessing, sin offering for our righteousness. He was marred that we be made fair. He died for our life 
so that by him fury is made gentle, wrath appeased, darkness turned into light, fear reassured, despisal despised, debt canceled, labor lightened, sadness made merry, misfortune made fortunate, difficulty easy, disorder ordered, division united, rebellion subjected, intimidation intimidated, ambush uncovered, assaults assailed, forced, forced back, combat combated, war warred against, vengeance avenged, torment tormented, damnation damned, the abyss sunk into the abyss, hell, hell transfixed, death dead, morality made immortal. In short, mercy has swallowed up all misery and goodness all misfortune. And we are comforted in tribulation, joyful in sorrow, glorifying under verbal abuse, abounding in poverty, warmed in our nakedness, patient amongst evils, living in death. What a thing that he's done for us, isn't it? What an amazing thing that God has done. And if all this is true, and it is, all that means that Jesus has fulfilled the law, we now, our righteousness, can surpass that of the Pharisees. And this is the key. It's the key as we, as we spend the next weeks going through the Sermon on the Mount, this is the key to understanding the rest of it. What a thing that God has done. Jesus has come fully obeying the law, living it out perfectly, and then paying the penalty for us, for you, for me. He's done it. He didn't come to abolish. He came to fulfill. As we look towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and I don't want to give too much away here, but as we look towards the end, you're going to see that towards the end, Jesus talks about, you know, really this idea of, hey, knock on the door, the right door. Or he's going to talk about the wide gate and the narrow gate. And he's going to talk about the right foundation. And so there's this picture as we get towards the end that really there's a right way and a wrong way. And if you look at it and you think about it, you're like, okay, there's one way which follows the law. And there's another way that they don't follow the law. But as we reflect on the Sermon on the Mount and we look at it, that's not really true. As we look at those, there's really two different ways in which we could obey and follow the law. And here's what I mean. Is that when Jesus talks about giving to the poor, he doesn't talk about people who give to the poor and people who don't. He talks about people who give to the poor so they can seek applause. And then he talks about people who give to the poor and they don't even congratulate themselves in their own heart. He doesn't talk about people who pray and people who don't pray. He talks about people who pray for the applause of man so that they can be seen by man. He talks about people who pray. They go into the quietness of their own home and they pray to God. They don't do it for the public applause. They don't do it to be recognized. And so when Jesus is talking about this, and you're going to see it, throughout the, all the Sermon on the Mount, is that there's one way to follow the law that's like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that do it kind of out of this sense of pride and do it because they think they can achieve something and they can obtain something. And then there's a way to follow the law that is grace, that is based on the grace that God has shown us. It's a reflection not of what we can do and what we can achieve and what we can obtain, but it's based on what Jesus has already done for us. That this man, 
this man who was the son of God has perfectly obeyed the law, has perfectly fulfilled the law, and then has come and he has been that sacrifice. He has paid that penalty that had to be paid, right? Because we look back, there's the law, we can't obtain it. So someone has to pay that penalty and he has done it. He has done it perfectly by living a perfect life. And all the blessing that is bestowed upon him is now bestowed upon me. What an amazing thing. That now my righteousness can surpass that of even the Pharisees. And not because, not because of me. Not because of me, not because of you, but because of him. If you believe the gospel and you have been changed by Christ and his fulfillment of the law and the righteousness, then your righteousness will surpass that of the, of the Pharisees. What an amazing thing. Because of Jesus, because of what he's done, because he's obeyed perfectly, because he's reflected the Father perfectly, and then he has paid that penalty for me, for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your law. God, the, the law is a beautiful thing because it reflects who you are. It reflects your qualities. It reflects your image. And God, we, we don't want to be pharisaical in our approach and in our following and our belief. We don't want to do it because we have this sense of pride that we can achieve or obtain something. But God, we want to follow your law and we want to pursue you because we love you. Because your son Jesus has done this incredible thing. Your son Jesus has paid this penalty. And as we reflect on it in taking the bread and the juice, the bread, his body that was broken, this perfect man Jesus who reflected you perfectly, gave up his life and his body was broken. And God, the juice, his blood that was shed, this new covenant we have with you, because of Jesus. So God, as, as we think and we dwell upon the law, we don't, we don't want to throw it out. We, we don't want to look at it as some sort of guidelines that, oh, you know, it might be good to follow. But we want to look to Jesus, who perfectly lived, who perfectly fulfilled it, who perfectly reflected you, and then who perfectly came and paid that price, paid that penalty that we should have paid. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the new life that we find in him. And God, as we reflect on this, God, we know that duty or guilt will motivate us for a while. Having and being like the Pharisees and this sense of pride and accomplishment, if we can follow the law, that will motivate us for a while. But the love of Jesus will motivate us for our lives. God, may we respond out of a love for Jesus, out of a love for this great thing that he has done for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. And Jesus loves you so much that, that he didn't come to get rid of this. He came to fulfill it. And as we look to pursue God, as we look to be and reflect 
his image. We, we do it out of sense of love because of what he's done for us in his son, Jesus. And so as we leave here, we don't want to think of it as some sort of set of rules that I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to obtain this. But we look at it as, man, God has loved us so much, he gave us Jesus. And my heart response to that is to, to want to obey, is to want to reflect to this broken and dying world who God is. Listen, duty or guilt will motivate us for a while, but the love of Jesus will motivate you for a lifetime. Let's sing one more song together.